This episode is brought to you by The One Summit, two days that would change your life forever. For tickets, go to theonesummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And welcome. Because we have a special guest, Steve Myers. Welcome. Welcome. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Actually, have we ever had a male? Oh. Julius. Oh, we did have Julius, Julius, but he came with his wife. Yeah, true. And children. True, true. True that. Oh, my gosh. This is our first male by himself. Really? I'm a little bit privileged that we'll be scared. They should be. Very very afraid. afraid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Steve um, has been, or he started with Cindy, and I'll let Cindy tell you the whole story about this, but... One of the reasons why we decided to get Steve on the show today is because we were doing some recording and Cindy was saying, what are we going to talk about on our next show? And I said, bioidentical hormones. And Kim said, diabetes. And we were all sort of throwing all these things out to Cindy. And Cindy's like, I started to roll. And she's like, okay, time to get Steve in. (laughs) And I think that the story of how Steve has come into all of our lives, because, yes, he is in all of our lives now, Mm -hmm. as of this moment, I think is really quite fascinating and really amazing because it's a journey of, of, of enormous growth for you, Cindy. So um, I'm going to shut up and over to you. You want, you want me to tell the story? Yeah. Totes, okay. go, 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 because it's a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful um, story, but then we're just going to smash you, Steve, with our questions oh. that, that we just have to have answered by a PhD. Sure, I'm ready. <laughs> That's all I know. I didn't even know his name was Steve. I know, you came in and called him Mr. Mr. PhD. Mr. PhD. That's all right, I like that. That's what I called yeah, him. That's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it has been um, an incredible journey, and I, and I believe Steve is the perfect person for um, what I wanted. So I conceptualised you quite a while ago. So probably a couple of years ago, I started to think I wanted to do an education course, but I had no idea how to do it. And I knew I needed somebody that was a lot smarter than me that um, had a real thing about intricacy, you know, so they could get into, like, I, I'd skim the surface. I don't want to know the detail. Just I'd skim the surface. Really? Yeah, I'd just skim the surface. I, wow. Well, I didn't think I used to until I met Steve. Ah. Because I'm thinking to myself, that's got. I've never would have. Yeah. No. I, I speak. That's see. Speechless. Yeah, see. Can't get words out. <laughs> but that's. Amazing. I actually thought I didn't skim the surface. But then when I speak to Steve, I go, Oh my gosh, he just goes so much deeper into the the whole thing. So, uh, anyway, we'll we'll get to that. But um, so I, I had this idea and. I didn't know how to do it, and I would talk to people about who do I get, how do I find them, do I need to headhunt them? I used to say scalp. <laughs> oh, you did. I scalp. <laughs> I used to say scalp. You used to say scalp? Because I had no idea about recruitment. And so oh, I- bless your cotton sock. I'm going to go and scalp somebody. Heaven's alive. That's hysterical. <laughs> it was. And that's what oh. I would say. It's headhunt, Cindy. Went, yeah, it's headhunt. Oh, okay. Oh, you're so funny. And so they'd say you need to go to universities or you need to find someone from the pharmaceutical company. And I'd go, I don't want anyone from a pharmaceutical company. And anyway, what ended up happening is that um, we did find somebody. 
but she didn't have a biomedical degree and I just felt that she was going to have to spend a lot of time getting information that would take years and years and years would take years and years and years. I'm just I'm showing Steve how they don't even listen to me. They're there on their phones. Oh, it's I know you are. I know you are. Facebook page. I know. <laughs> I know you are, but it's just so funny the way I'm chatting away and Steve's looking at you too. <laughs> sorry, sorry. This is what our up for a chat's I, about. I'm just seeing if there is a Facebook page. Carry on. Is Carry there? on. There is, but it's I don't use it very often. Link, oh. LinkedIn is probably. Oh, LinkedIn. The, um, LinkedIn's that's probably what I was thinking. Ah, uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. I would have no. see, and I would have expected LinkedIn. For a professional, that's true. <laughs> LinkedIn and ResearchGate is another one. ResearchGate? Research yeah, it's very big oh. at the moment. ResearchGate oh, is... Look at these girls. Uh, yeah. ResearchGate, that, that sounds people, like, or is that... Uh, yeah, that's where you can find people and you can find out, you know, how, how many times they've published, what their, what their work is about and things like that. So oh, that's re- a network. Research, it's a network as well. Research, mm. LinkedIn is kind of very um, broad. Whereas ResearchGate is more for researchers. Me- um, ResearchGate is a network. Types. <laughs> <dedicated> <laughs> the intelligent types, yeah. <laughs> I probably won't fit in. <laughs> I'm sure you will, Kim. <laughs> You're so sweet. Um, so carry on. Oh, so carry on. So yeah, stop knocking us, telling you <laughs> that we're not listening. We are listening and researching, actually. Yeah, oh, I, I was just so funny the way I'm, I feel like I'm talking just to Steve and I'm, telling, I'm talking about him. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I, I rang my um, recruitment girl and I said to her, it's just, it's not good enough. I, 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 she's not the right person. She is if I put somebody who's got a degree and that's what I was doing. I was trying to combine two people that had um, all the information that I needed. So um, Sally came to me and, and we Have sat you down. about why you want this person? Um, no, probably not, but we'll talk about that. Mm, okay. Yeah. So Sally came to me and mm-hmm. she said, so Sally came to me and she said to me, all right, so let's write down all the characteristics if you want from this person. So we wrote down this huge list and she, she looks at the end of it. She goes, oh, you don't want much. <laughs> See, aim high. Yeah, I did. I aimed high. I said, these are the characteristics I want. This is what I want them to be able to do. And and she just went, I don't know if we're going to get it all in one person, but let's try. <laughs> so she sent it out, um, basically, out to um, Seek, wasn't it? Did she? Is that where she yeah, found you, Seek? Yeah, it was on Seek. Oh, really? was on Seek. And she presents me. She said hundreds of people um, came back to her. But she said out of those hundreds, she got six that she liked and out of those six she gave me two to interview yeah so this is for that's really good about having an agency that gets you though yeah and she does get me she's been with me from the beginning and so she you know she got me my first um person after annika um and then it went from there and annika now works for karen so i don't think you're getting her back either did she scalp did you scalp her for me (laughs) um who hunt wow (laughs) i don't even know what to say to that that's so hilarious that's what i know it's just I don't know recruitment and, and Karen's very good with recruitment. But anyway, um, so I looked at, at both of the sheets, um, all the references, and I looked at, at everything that was – and I saw Steve's and I'm reading through it and, I, and I'm looking up at Sally going, he has everything. He's perfect. And you know what, Steve? And I, and I know him, it, was, it was so funny. I'm like going, yes, just, yep, yep, I want to interview him. And um, so what was really interesting is that I only wanted to interview you. I decided that I really didn't want to interview anybody else because I knew you were the right one. Mm. And the other thing was is that everybody else was females and you were the only male. 
And that was something, and I don't know why I wanted a male, but that was one of the things that I wrote down. Was because we had so many girls in our office, and I thought it would be a really good balance to have um, a guy in the office that could, you know, keep, you know, keep Howie company, uh, company, and keep Tony company, you know, and keep you girls in line. Yeah, keep us in line. So um, I interviewed Steve, and Steve walked out the door, and I said to to Karen, I went, "That's it. He's the one." He, he's got everything that I want. And I saw you, as, as soon as I saw you um, and you left Steve, I said to Karen, he's the Steve Irwin of biomedical science. <laughs> oh, look out. Yeah, he's the Steve Irwin of biomedical science because I knew Steve. I knew Steve really well. Uh, so I then interviewed the second girl and, and both Karen and I just looked at each other and went, no, we know who we want. Did you have Karen sitting with you? Always. Karen always sits in with oh, me and so does Howard. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, we always sit in together because we all have to work together. And and it's always good. It's, you know, it's not just about me, although we like to think it is about well, me. Actually. Yeah. And Obi was there as well. Oh, Obi! Obi was there! Obi the dog! <laughs> yes, Obi. Obi is a really good... And that's good, what clenched it for yeah. Steve. Yeah, Obi just turned on his back and, and went, I love him! Yeah. <laughs> nice. You know, stroke his stomach. Yeah. Him, so. Yes. <laughs> So he's, what? He's he's, accepted, he's the I chief think. executive officer. They just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah he is the CEO. I can tell you that now. Um, so anyway, um, what Steve's role in our business is, is is head of education. Although that is coming. What he is right now is he's just creating the course for GBB. Yeah. What's that? General Dog's Body. GDB, <laughs> oh. <laughs> do I not know that term? <laughs> so, you know, and, and so what it is is we're creating the education course. Which um, is so exciting. Yeah. Oh, I've been dying for this. Fabulous. Yes. And what I think what let us up was how quickly you actually appeared. I, I mean, what, mm. I shouldn't say quickly. Yeah. Cindy's been thinking about this for so long, Steve. I, w- I just want to ask you, how did you find yourself in this position mm. to be ready to apply for this position? Like, what's the synchronicity and timing on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a fairly long story, but I'll, I'll shorten it. Um, you don't have to on this. <laughs> <laughs> we like good stories. So I suppose a little bit about my background yes. is I um, studied at QUT, Queensland University of Technology, where I did my Bachelor of Science. And then I went into an honours program. And an honours program is a one-year program where you basically just thrown into the lab and research something. And so I was heavily involved in genes, involved in prostate and breast cancer. So that's what my sort of honours work was about. And then after I finished that, I decided I loved that work so much. Um, I loved the genetics, the molecular biology. I just wanted to work more on on this kind of stuff. So I did a PhD in... um, As you would. As you do. As you do. Uh, on the genetics of endometrial prostate and breast cancer, just looking at um, markers to see if we could discover any particular markers for prostate. Because the, the current markers for prostate and breast cancer are good, but they're not perfect. Because, for example, if you look at prostate cancer, one of the markers for prostate cancer is prostate-specific antigen, or called PSA. And you can measure that in your blood. But a lot of athletes, and PSA is actually regulated or switched on by testosterone. So a lot of athletes have high levels of PSA. So it's not a really good mark. It's, it's okay, but it's, it's the gold standard at the moment. So our role was to try and identify better markers. Um, so that took me... And did you? Um, we, 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 it, work is still ongoing, actually. Okay. But not, I've sort of moved on from that work. And I, that was your PhD, is yeah, that, that's what I you did? Yeah, I did my PhD, but during that time I was really interested in steroid hormones wow. and the way they actually switch on and switch off genes. 
because that's the work I was doing with prostate and breast cancer because they're hormonally regulated. Can I just ask, yeah, sure. how old were you doing all this? I was you... 30. So you had I gone started a little bit, yeah, no, I started a little bit later. Okay. Uh, I was actually a refrigeration and air conditioning mechanic before I started all this. <laughs> no, it's serious. Trade? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I left right. school and, and my father said you need to um, get a car, a girlfriend, and a trade. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a car out. and a trade and then a girlfriend. I mean, something like that. Yeah. Wow, that awesome? So I did a trade for a little while and I thought, I've always wanted to study and I wanted to do marine biology. And when I went to, to university, the career counsellor said to me, forget it. There's no jobs in marine biology. You're better off to do biotechnology. I thought, okay, I'll do biotechnology. So... I and made, that didn't scare you, just, just the um, word? Just the word? I, I was interested in science anyway, so I um, majored in like? biochemistry. And What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Good question, Kimmy. <laughs> and you know, if you could see Kim, she's got... <laughs> she's leaning right into Steve. She's got her head on her hands, and it's almost like she's... Oh, she's it's like she's hypnotised. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> yeah. To be interested in science, what's that like? It's like she just was totally lost in a moment. That's hysterical. Oh, that's funny. Carry on. Oh, and I, back to it. Okay, carry on, Steve. No, that's, that's funny. I just love people like you, Steve. Uh, yeah, so I majored in um, biochemistry and molecular biology, and that's and then that took me through to the PhD. And when I finished my PhD, I was really interested in steroid hormones and, and how they're involved in gene regulation. And I started to get interested in diabetes and metabolic disease um, because metabolic disease is very hormonal as well. And so I went, I moved to... What's metabolic disease? Okay, metabolic disease is, sorry to um, throw that at everyone, metabolic (laughs) disease is actually diseases such as diabetes, obesity, um, all of those, metabolic syndrome, all of those diseases that come under diseases involved in metabolism. So um, changes in your metabolism that cause disease. Uh-huh. So, um, and, and diabetes is one of the most classic. Diabetes and obesity are diseases of metabolism. So, really? somewhere in metabolism, some, some part of metabolism is because is, of what they're eating, it changes the metabolism. Um, it's a little bit be, more complex. I was going to say because all, all we, all I'm aware of is you've got a fast metabolism, a slow metabolism. Yeah, you know how people yeah. talk about that and blame that. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at obesity, for example, obesity is is biochemical, which is which was metabolic, and then it's behavioural. Because a lot of obesity, uh, a lot of obesity is due to leptin resistance, um, which is a biochemical phenomenon. What then, comes first? And then, then it's behavioural after that. Um, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? That's yeah. a hard question because we don't know. I mean, people are addicted to food these days. There's food everywhere. Mm. There's high sugar contents. Let's face it. You know, food tastes pretty good when it's. When it's not when it's bad for you, that kind of bad food tastes pretty good. <laughs> so you get this kind of pattern of eating, and you want more and more. And and, and we we know now that that sugar is addictive. Mm. So that creates problems with your metabolism. So whether that sets up a leptin resistance or not, we don't know. It, certainly, it sets up um, insulin resistance. We know that for type two diabetes, for example. But we don't know whether it sets up a resistance for leptin or whether leptin resistance comes first. Um, so it's hard to say. <clears throat> and we have talked about leptin mm. resistance. You know, we did a whole, a whole podcast on yeah. that. Mm. Um, and so then I moved to the US for a little while, and I was in the Baylor College of Medicine in Texas, and I was working there on progesterone uh, regulation in breast cancer. 
with um, a woman by the name of Nancy Weigel. And um, so I stayed there for a little while and moved back to Australia. I was only there for a little, for, for not long. Moved back Houston. to Houston. Yeah, in Houston, Texas. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? Give me speed to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you can't. I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah, no. People from Houston listening. Oh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Beautiful place. But no one lives in the city. No, How no, that's that? right. Yeah, and no. the food is a shocker. Yeah, let's just say. Well, the steak is a massive. Yeah, no, but it's for a... us non-meat eaters, not a, not appealing. No, that's right. Mm. <laughs> um, that right. was a long time ago. I can see why you came back. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I came back and I. I worked. I was. I was really lucky to to get a scholarship. Oh, not a scholarship. A fellowship from the University of Queensland, and I worked in a lab uh, looking at metabolic disease, particularly type two diabetes and insulin resistance in skeletal muscle. So, because of my interest in uh, hormonal regulation, which my, my interest in hormonal regulation. I basically just fell into that job because I was really enjoying that side of it. And then I got involved in insulin resistance and, and type 2 diabetes. And I worked there for um, six or seven years, basically, as a research scientist, you know, writing papers, writing grants, and trying to get more money to do the research before I moved on to help set up a, a science lab in the, at the University of Ballarat, which is now Federation University of Australia. So I moved there to help basically uh, boost their research capacity. At, the, at that time, it was really quite small. So I moved down there for two years on a two-year contract. They sort of, um, as Cindy says, uh, scalped me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. To, uh, Ballarat, It'll be a new word. Everyone's going to say scalping now. Yeah. Well, in Ballarat, Ballarat, which is where you... No, you were Bendigo. I'm Bendigo. Okay. Yeah, I was from Bendigo. Still yeah. Victoria. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting closer. Yeah, we're getting you closer. Know? We're synchronicity. Yes, I'm just happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, um, I helped, you know, develop that, and I've actually got PhD students still working on a project down there involved in zinc transporters, and these are transporters that trans zinc into and out of cells, and their role in type two diabetes. And there's a lot of research on that at the moment. It's kind of a really hot topic. So I've got a couple of PhD students working on a project down there that I collaborate with uh, externally. Um, I meet up with them once, once a fortnight by Skype. Or something. I just, I just need to ask mm. this question. <clears throat> So I get really excited to get up in the morning to go for a run. Right. And I get really excited to make beautiful food. And I get mm. really excited when I'm even writing a newsletter <laughs> and things. But, but, but what happens when you are looking down a microscope? I mean, do you get that same <laughs> it's, it's true. I do. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm just, I, I, it's I'm crazy. hearing you. I mean, and a lot of the work that I do <laughs> You are hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's really true. I mean, it's so funny because... Most of our work that we do, we're passing one colour, colourless liquid from one tube into another. That's right. So that's and, not and just that's, for show on TV when we no, see them doing oh, it. They, they put a food dye in that. Right. And they hold it up like they're, they're right. doing something, but it's just water and food dye. Um, we've, we've all done that. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And, oh, that's a good... Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you don't want anything toxic, you know, especially around camera movement. And stuff, stuff oh, like that's that. too funny. Yeah, and they have to come into a lab that's, um, you, you know, restricted. So oh, most of, of the time, it's just the colourless, colourless water, uh, water with, with food dye. So, but um, yeah, when I, I get really excited about the science, when I see the the experiments that I'm that I'm doing and I'm taking the research that other people have done, and I'm repeating it and I'm trying to add on to it and think of my own ways that uh, a particular system or a mechanism might work out, and and I. 
and I can achieve that, that makes me really excited. Oh, and just to look down a, down a microscope, now microscopes aren't like you're just looking down them like the older, old days. Now we've got them on big screens, so we've got huge kind of instrumentation set up where we've got screens, massive screens, and you can put your slide and your piece of tissue or whatever you're looking at under the slide and just view it on the huge oh, screen. Wow. And we can do it in 3D now, so we can take slices through cells, so we can have uh, a, basically a bit of tissue sitting on a microscope and we can slice through it um, in silico which means uh, in a computer system we can slice through it in a computer system take Z sl stacks slices through it so and and these are like a one micrometer oh slices so you can imagine one micrometer is one thousandth of a millimeter. Oh my so God. you can slice through the cells and then She's take shots. Say, I, can. I can. I can see that. And so you can see right through a cell and you can see where different um, particular parts and components of the cell sit and how they're interacting with certain drugs that you might be um, putting on the cells or so forth. So it's, it's pretty do exciting you, do stuff. Do you look at people, like seriously, do you <clears> look at people <throat> and go, oh my God, if only they realized on a cellular mm. level what they're doing every time that like you know how hairdressers yeah. go oh i wish i could do something with her hair i mean are you looking at going i wish i could do something with their cells seriously <laughs> because if you if you look at people on a cellular level yeah. everything like i'm just aware of everything that i eat and drink and You're touch amazing. and do like everything i put on my skin you're just looking at your hand you're not mm. going into millions and trillions of cells yeah. like do you think like that uh no <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I don't really. I mean, I, I'm overwhelmed and in, in awe of a cell and what it can do and the things Absolutely. that we still don't understand. That's it's what just, I was going to ask you. Like, crazy. do you find yourself you know, it's... in awe of the intelligence that exists inside of mm. a cell and how it does it? Yes, do, I do. Does do any of your studies include, because mm. I'm the other side of that, so do any of your studies include that innate intelligence that exists inside of the... Um, yeah, that's a good question. And well, there's the difference as you're, you're looking at the vitalism yeah. side of things and the innate ability of a cell to control its environment or to respond to, yeah, to, to some respond sort of to external drug, stimulus, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then there's the reductionist theory, which a lot of scientists sort of, um, yeah. um, you know, uh, are really sort of intent on, on studying, taking that one component of a system, studying it in detail, which is very good because yeah. you can work out mechanisms. And that's why how a lot of our drugs have been designed today for things such as, you know, for example, um, schizophrenia or, or type yeah. 2 diabetes, they're all designed at that level of the single cell before they're put back into an animal model, tested and so forth. So you really need to understand those mechanisms, but that's not the whole story because mm. we know that there's other things that are happening uh, within a cell that we don't understand and yeah, we'll probably right. never understand. Mm. You know, the ability of just a your body to heal itself mm. naturally. I mean, where does that come from? Yeah. And, you know, people say, well, it's all biochemical. Well, that's true. It is biochemical to some extent, but the, how does that start? Yeah, where's the source? Yeah, so, so I, th I think there is a bit of a shift in yeah. the way that scientists are thinking now, particularly in biomedical science. It's yeah. starting to move that way because we're, the emphasis is on taking the biomedical science from the lab to the bench, uh, from, from the bench to the bed bedside yeah, so right. being able to take the work from that you're doing in the lab and in the context of taking it into a, a bedside in a hospital for example uh, rather than just looking down the microscope as Kimmy was saying this just before yeah so I think there is a little bit of a shift in understanding that you know we are just not our uh, we, we aren't we're not just the sum of our parts basically we're yeah, more yeah, than yeah. that we all interact with looking at the whole system mm. yeah I awesome. am actually fascinated by this I'm mm. loving it <laughs> so so we're <clears throat> So, uh, would we be able to come into a lab with you one day? 
Sure, you could. No, I'm serious. No, no, I would love to no, see no, it. No, yes, for sure. If you wanted to come into a lab. And we would film that podcast. Yeah. That would be yeah. a video podcast. Yeah, no. But remember, it's only going to be water and coloured dye. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. show you some cells, though, some some living cells under a microscope and things like that. That would be so amazing. That, would that know, gross me out? No. No, not at all, no. So can you see that? Because she does get grossed out very easily. No, you wouldn't be grossed yeah. out, no. So can you see the mitochondria? Can you? No, you can't. You can't. You can't. Oh, that's you, what you, I want to you, see. You can. Depend, it depends on what you're using. Just if you're using a normal um, confocal microscope, which is a kind of very standardised microscope, you can see cells and you'll be able to see the, the nucleus, for example, where, which houses the DNA. Oh. And, and you'll see... And what's really interesting <laughs> is I used to work on skeletal muscle cells. And skeletal muscle cells start, at, start in um, what's called myoblasts. So they're not really skeletal muscle. They have to be induced to become myoblasts tubes which are skeletal muscle so the microtubules in, that we have in our muscle so we induce them with various hormones which which is what occurs in our own bodies but when they actually become myotubules they become very striated so they're actually like long filaments and you can see them actually contracting under a microscope so that's pretty cool when you see mm. that but you wow. can't see individual mitochondria and other organelles because they're too small mm. but you can with an electron microscope so if you use an electron microscope, which basically um, fires electrons at the at, at the organelles within a cell and forms an image, um, it's like similar to an X-ray diffraction or something like and that. And does that actually, when you <coughs> fire those electrons, does it that does that actually affect the matter? Does it? Well, there, yes, that's a that's a that's good a that's a really good question. There are ways to actually uh, get around that. So. That's one of the things that when you're looking at micros when you're doing microscopy, uh, that kind of work, you have to be really careful that the, the things that you're doing, the way you're preparing your material is not actually affecting the actual material that mm. you're preparing. So that's why you have to set up controls. So you yeah. always have controls. Um, and that's one of the big things. So, so yeah, that, that certainly does happen. But it's, it's, with our technology today, it's very minimised. I can ask him anytime. You go. <laughs> so when my husband played cricket professionally, right. and he did a hamstring tear, and right. we went in to have an MRI scan, right. and I watched with the radiographer mm. how they sliced through. Yeah, sure. The images of the it looked like a leg of lamb sitting up there yeah, to start definitely. with, yeah. and then they went through each layer mm. level. So that was on a muscular level, right? Um, when you're looking at it on a cellular, I'm just, I'm just, it's just quite overwhelming for yeah. me to imagine. Because when Karen's often taken us down the rabbit hole about from a microscopic or a macroscopic effect on mm. our intelligence, if you like. Yeah. How do you not let emotions come into something so <clears throat> scientific and black and white? You know, like does that ever happen in the sense of? Oh my god, this is exciting! And then are you making something happen? Like as a scientist, are you really having to be black and white the whole time? Yeah, sorry. I'm just thinking. My question's not dissimilar to that. And mine wasn't either, actually. That's so funny. funny. Yeah, because what I'm thinking is, you know, everything that I read says that the observer affects the object, Mm. and simply through the observation of an experiment, Mm. it affects the outcome. Yeah. And what you're suggesting now is like your emotion. Does it actually affect Mm. how you read it? Okay, over to you. Back to you. Yeah, Uh, it's a good question. It's, (laughs) and it goes back to Schrodinger's. Schrodinger was the famous physicist that did oh, the, yeah, yeah, the cat right. in the box. Um, Schrodinger's cat. Have you ever heard of Schrodinger's yes. cat? Where he put a cat in the box, a, a thought experiment, mm. and it had some cyanide in the box. And 
and a certain thing would trigger the cyanide and kill the cat, but you wouldn't know if the cat was dead or alive. So in a sense, it was dead and alive at the same time. The only way you could find out was by observing it, and then you changed the whole parameters. Mm. So by observing something, you changed it. Mm. So that's very similar to what you're saying, Kimmy, and what Karen was. And also what the everyone, all of you were thinking particles about. Particles and waves experiment it's, with it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something that. As scientists, we do get excited, but you, we really need to be black and white because we really need to understand, is this what we're really seeing? And that's where the literature is really important, and that's where peer-reviewed literature is very important. So when we publish a paper, you know, the last paper I published last year went into a journal called Plus One, which is a really good journal, but it came back five times before they were happy with it. It went out to three reviewers in the field, really high in the field. They reviewed it. One reviewer just was not happy at all. Um, so we came back, we did some more experiments to, to satisfy that review. It went back out. That reviewer still wasn't happy and then sort of basically left the review panel. They had to get a third reviewer. Then finally, fourth, fourth time lucky, we got it through. But it's just the... the what do the, you mean they don't like it? Is there something It's not that they don't like it. They question something about it. It doesn't stand with their philosophy on how things work, maybe, or their understanding on how things work. So they, um, you know, take a, you know, a different view of what you're doing. Um, but so so it goes to another reviewer and then it just sort of cascades on and it might take four or five times to get something published but you know once it's published it's really been through really hard um, stringent control through peer review of, of scientists that are really high in the field it's not to say that it's actually perfect I wanted to ask it's still you open to perception it's still yeah. open to perception but I also wanted to ask you if, mm. what tell me if I'm wrong but yeah. you can almost prove anything to be right or wrong you can and and that's where it comes back to using the theory that's available it's really un it's really important to understand theory and it's really important to understand it at a really deep level at a, at a molecular level it, no matter if you if you're working in this field of, of biomedical science or whatever you're working in you really need to understand it at that level because at that level is where everything has come from you know all of our you know what's an incorrect discovery of dna and all of that it's all come from that foundation so the foundations are really important not to say that they're exactly right but if you can experiment enough what about the power of persuasion, though, from a marketing perspective yeah. with a company, like a food company, yeah. that could employ... Are you guys bought? Can you be bought? Can we be bought? Well, yeah, pharmaceutical companies buy mm. us. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> they do. Um, I would certainly not work for a pharmaceutical company because I enjoy science for what it is in its purest form. I, <clears throat> I, I, I love science. I mean, I just love doing it. I wouldn't sell myself sell myself out to a pharmaceutical company but but people do it and and it's a you know it's a lucrative career for them but it's just not what i would depends do depends on what, the, what depends the drivers on. are yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and science to me is not money about money it's so i've got a question that i've always wanted to ask somebody like mm. you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will you go out with her <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on fine tune, oh, Kimmy. She is doing. She is. But this is what she's usually like. I have to tell you, Friends, <laughs> Mr. PhD. I've only met Kim. Kimmy. It's the second time now. She flew into the she's office. She's grown on me very much. <laughs> I love you. And you're in my bedroom. <laughs> yes, I, feel, I, know. I feel there's bonding going. <laughs> right, go, 
go for your question, Karen. I, I'm hanging out for this one. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not anything that you guys mm. don't already know. But yeah. like every time I'm doing anything, because I'm a bit of an analytical creature, so I really do like to go down the rabbit hole, and I really do like to understand the science of it. Yes, I, I I'm, I'm, I, um, I find myself. Well, I find myself equally drawn to the psychology or the the the, the intelligence of it, and also yeah. to the scientific aspects sure. of it. I love it. Mm. So when we say, and please forgive me because it's probably going to be the most stupid question for somebody like you, so please let me apologise in advance. There's no silly questions. Oh, no, no, no. Hi, I'm Karen. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a silly question asker. I'm an Aquarian and... uh, um, (laughs) And we go out with me. So when I'm doing all of when I'm doing all of my reading and I'm doing all of my research and stuff and I I've, I've got like stacks and stacks on quantum physics and yeah. quantum mechanics and all of that sort of stuff. The question that I have is that when we're when we're looking at things scientifically and just even just the body, when we're looking at the body scientifically, and science is very black and white from all the research that I see, it is very very black and white when it makes its assumptions about what the body does and it doesn't do and its theories. How can we how can we suggest that a theory is as close to being right when the source of its performance is undiscoverable? Mm. And I know that there's lots of studies on consciousness and lots of studies on awareness and all of that happening now, but even there, there's still no answers on that. Yeah. So it's almost like saying, well, the body is a physical physical being and that represents, let's say, 50% of what of what actually is so the finger it's physical but then there's also there's an intelligence Mm. inside of that that makes it function as a finger and keeps it alive as a finger that science actually can't measure yet the scientist will say i'm aware and i know that i'm aware because i wake up every morning with myself Mm. i'm aware but because i can't measure that therefore it's not real so how does how do we say that the basis of any theory that has anything to do with the body or life or humanity mm. or whether it's fish or trees or whatever, how do we actually get to claim any kind of theory as potentially the platform that we then go and do all the rest <clears throat> of our research and create our medicines and our responses to the world when really only 50% of the understanding is present? Mm. And I, yeah. yeah no, good it's, question. Mm. It's a good question. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. so, I've always looked at it and I thought, how can anybody say that yeah, that's yeah. right? I just don't get that. Yeah, yeah you, you're right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I was telling Cindy the other day, and I've done all the statistics, statistics on this, you know, about 90% of the research that's out there is not, you can't repeat it, basically, because it's been done in labs and they've used their own particular resources. And if you take that same experiment and do it somewhere else in another lab, down the road or overseas, you know, ninety percent of the time you can't do it. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean it's good. That doesn't mean it's no good. Yeah. Because what it does is it allows us then to go in and see what has been going on with those particular experiments, and that can help us build from those. Yeah. And yeah. then maybe redesign the experiment. So all that work is not to waste. And then there's only ten percent of the research out there that that's actually gone on to, um, you know, send us to the moon to, you know design iPads or whatever it may be, all that research that goes into uh, keeping us alive in medication, for example, is the 10%. The other 90% is really um, stuff that's out there that just adds to the jigsaw puzzle. But the scientists that are actually doing the 10% of the work are going and reading all those papers. 
to find out what's what's going on. So so the idea of um, the theory thing it, it is and it is a theory and it's open to um, discussion. And if you look at the classic theory of Lamrack when he was discovering the theory of evolution, he thought that giraffes uh, evolved um, long necks because they had to reach up higher to to grab you know higher leaves in the trees. And then that was thrown out by Darwin's theory, which yeah. sort of surpassed it. But now it's coming back to Lamrack's theory because of the epigenetics that we have. So, so theories are always open to, to discussion and debate, and they'll always be surpassed. There'll yeah. always be another theory. So I don't think you can say that um, even though we work in black and white, theories are never set in stone. They're always debatable out and think. And that's yeah. the way the world works. You know, yeah. we, we build on what we know and what works at the time. So would you say you guys are theorists rather than scientists? Um, I think we probably... It depends on your discipline. Depends very much on your discipline. Biomedical science, we're probably more in scientists trying to understand mechanisms, which don't really build to a theory, but, but they just, just sit, try to you understand. You just trying to understand, so therefore it's not black and white. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. she, she's saying you're not definite, you're not black and white, and you're saying trying. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. we're trying to understand something, but it'll always be, we'll always sit at, it'll always be right in our minds or right, not right I shouldn't say right in our minds one way it's or always the other. one way or the other but it's always open to discussion mm. that's what I meant by so that. In, in when you say yeah. so it depends on your discipline depends there on your are, discipline there are some of you guys who are simply just studying the physicality yeah, of it theoretical physicists for example is a classic example them. they just work on theory um, yeah. and we're, we're more practical scientists I'd, I'd say you know more ba what they call basic science where we work on mechanisms to understand things they don't so necessarily PhD is basic science <laughs> I love it but yeah they call it I don't know why that, that you know I like that word because no. it's not basic at all no. but no it's um but we never work towards a theory or anything, but we try to discover ways things work which then are part of a huge you know conglomerate of um um components that add to the jigsaw puzzle that people can then just work on and you know work that I've published before people are working on it and trying to build on it as well. Steve my grandmother <clears throat> when she was in her, she was 93 and she had a stroke and she was in hospital mm. and my grandmother used to take 13 pills a day I think two or three times a day you know they had their little containers and everything. Yeah. She had a stroke she was put in hospital told nil by mouth was taken off everything and we all came in to say goodbye. Mm. My grandmother got well well enough to immigrate to Australia mm. At 91 years of age, she was 91. Wow. Um, what fascinated, fascinates me from a science medical point of view or a drug point <clears> of view <throat> is one drug is made up of all these things mm. and they give it to that person. Then she, because of that drug, it upset her tummy, so they gave her another drug. Mm. And then she needed warfarin for her heart mm. and then, then she needed an anti-inflammatory. How on earth do you guys work out the effect of... <clears throat> now 10 different or 13 mm. different tablets on one person. But my question is this. Mm. She was taken off everything. We were told to say goodbye. She got well on no medication. Yeah. And my thing was, why would we put her back on it? Yeah, exactly. I, why would you? Yeah, when she's, she's well. How do you know, though, that 13 <clears throat> tablets in that particular person's body mm. is not going to cause her... Like, is it just all trial and error? Yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's the whole idea now with, with drug therapy is to really go to that silver bullet where they're trying to um, personalise medicine. But that's, it's a really hard sell because we're all so different. We all respond differently to different drugs. And we know that even with 
drugs for diabetes. People that are diabetic respond differently to different drugs. For example, metformin, which is a which is a drug used for type 2 diabetes, people respond to it and they have different side effects. So <clears throat> the idea of understanding drugs in a system is really looking at a, a very broad sense on how it interacts with its molecules in itself, how it interacts with receptors and what it does. But then putting it into a person, for example, is going to be a different story because we're all very different. <clears throat> and how it how it acts in that particular person might be different from another person. So 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 it's really difficult. So most of the drugs that are designed on the market now are designed over a broad population of people that are, for example, type two diabetic. So they design drugs within a system, they go into clinical trials over a population of people and they all have different side effects <clears throat> but they kind of live with that. So the idea of um, what you were saying is how do you understand 13 different drugs and the different side effects they'll have. The cumulative effects. <clears throat> the cumulative effects. Um, that, that comes down to just basically Luck. clinical trials. And, and, and there's a lot of drugs that have been taken off the market because of severe side effects. I was When I was in <clears throat> Houston, <clears throat> nice place, yeah. um, there was an ad on TV for, a, for Viagra or some sort of Viagra, some sort of, I don't know, sexual enhancement mm. and then it had all these side effects come up underneath oh, the ears. Yes, <laughs> one of them was impotence. Yeah. yeah and okay. I'm just thinking so so when you I don't know, I just find it very interesting from a pharmaceutical point of view and then you had the slant on it about, you know, that this is gonna make you feel good and it's gonna do all these different things to mm. you and yet and then one of the other side effects is it could kill you. Yeah. So yeah, cause, cause nightmares, high blood pressure, suicidal <laughs> thoughts. Don't take depression. <laughs> uh, contact your doctor if you have a skin lesion. Um, yeah, there's it all was, sorts yeah. of all sorts of things. It's interesting. So because, they cover themselves well. Yeah, it's interesting. They do, don't they? <laughs> if you take, if you take, you know, for example, type two diabetes, and if you're insulin resistant, with and you're type two diabetic, and your insulin's not working anymore, so you're on sort of polypharmacy where you're on multiple insulin and, and other drugs. There's other drugs that actually make you put weight on, which kind obesogens, of... Obesogens, they yeah, are called. Well, yeah, obesogens. So, oh, that's, you've done your research. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, if I could just have a little halo above my head right now, I'd be so happy. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. Kim. But um, what I was going to say is uh, obesity promotes, uh, it promotes resistance as well. So it's kind of a vicious circle. Oh, so you're taking drugs that will enhance wow. your insulin uptake so that you don't have blood glucose you know floating around in your system causing all sorts of problems and on, at the same time you're putting weight on which enhances the insulin resistance and it gets and then if you think about how insulin works as well insulin basically um, inhibits the signaling of leptin to the brain so you've got insulin and leptin working together so shut the front door. So yeah. What you think so, about that, so, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's some interesting work that's been done with with obese patients that are not. Um, so we're going a little bit off track here. Not not so much, but with mm. um, obese patients that I'd call us scientists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we do, don't mm, we? Mm. Yeah. And or um, theorists. <laughs> theorists. Or theorists. Yeah. That, you know, uh, leptin resistant. So, so leptin is really important. It's secreted by fat cells and it, and it acts on your hypothalamus to say, hey, I've had enough food. I don't need to eat anymore. A lot of obese patients, their leptin's not working. Um, the signal's not getting to the brain, so they become leptin resistant. So uh, they found that actually drugs that are involved, and, and that's also 
um, insulin is involved in inhibiting leptin um, signaling in the brain as well. So you're also producing high levels of insulin because you're um, eating a lot of food and you've got high levels of sugar in your blood, so you're producing a lot of insulin. So insulin is having that additive effect as well as inhibiting any leptin that's trying to get to the brain. So they put, they put obese patients on um, diabetic drugs to lower insulin levels and they've had a response. So leptin can get to the brain and they're not as resistant, so they start to lose weight. So when they put them on these diabetic drugs to actually clear insulin from the system, these patients lose weight. So, um, but then what <clears throat> happens to all this? Because they're still eating lots of sugars and stuff. So what happens to this that? Is a, this is on normal, a normal diet. If they just eat what they want, as they always are, yeah. you can actually put them on diabetic drugs to actually increase their leptin yeah, sensitivity yeah. somewhat. Um, so, so the, and I'm sorry, I forgot where, where the question was. <laughs> I don't know, who cares? It's but, just fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> So multi, we we're talking about how drugs oh, work oh, um, in the systems and the different the different ways they work. It's so complex, you know. We, uh, as I said, there's they, they interact with and, and you know some like for example the glitazones. They, these are drugs that are used in, in type two diabetes, which act on nuclear receptors, which are called transcription factors. And one of the classic ones is called PPAR gamma. You don't have to worry see, about it. See how. I don't go this deep. There's just no way. Like when he was, when you were telling me this the other day, I'm like going, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, like going through each layer of the cell that's to right. understand. Yeah. So sorry, Steve, no, I that, interrupt no, that's you. All right. No, no, yeah. no problems. So, so those drugs that act on those particular receptors are involved in. Um, they bind to the, to the receptor. It then translocates across in the cell and gets into the nucleus where it binds to DNA and then it modulates gene expression. So what it does is it binds to DNA and then it switches on or switches off genes involved in lipid metabolism, for example, in the case of the PPAR that I'm just talking about. So when you're actually looking at those kind of drugs that are targeting those particular molecules, they don't only just have that single effect by binding to a particular piece of DNA and regulating the gene for that DNA. They have multiple effects. So they bind to other DNA as well and have different effects. So those kind of drugs that we're, we, we see now in, in, in society for type 2 diabetes, for example, or whatever it may be, have a plethoric amount of targets. So they target many, many signaling pathways. And that's where the problems start to come in because that's when the side effects happen. So it's really difficult to single out a single drug that has a single target. It can be done, and that's through chemical modification. But that's the ongoing work at the moment. And have you done then much work carrying on in this, into the thyroid in relation to the way... I haven't done a lot of work on the thyroid, no. Most of my work... No, I haven't, no. I've done a lot more than me. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just interested at the moment. The thyroid seems to be yeah, a massive yeah. yeah, oh, it is. He will be researching that. Don't I, I you will worry. be. I can give you another update on that. that <laughs> right. We'll get you back we'll, we'll get in a few back. months' time. How about yeah. next week. Yeah. <laughs> um, Could, so can you? Oh, sorry. Oh, I don't, no. Well, I want um, Steve to tell you, Kimmy. Um, about exercise because know, you know you love yeah. your exercise mm. and <coughs> oh yeah okay. I, I would like you to you know talk to Kimmy because this is her this is her baby she's done twenty four hour marathons this yeah. one she does crazy stuff like Kokoda trails mm. that's that's her whole life is is this type of taking her body to the absolute extreme yeah so can you talk to Kim and us about how exercise changes our gene expression <coughs> yeah sure so. 
there's you've heard of the epigenetics. So epigenetics is epigenetics is changes in your DNA, but it's not actually changes in your DNA structure per se. It's changes in the way your DNA is switched on or switched off. So epigenetic changes don't necessarily need to to, to occur in the particular gene itself. They can occur a long way away from the gene and still have an effect on the gene through various um, regions I, I won't get into in this discussion now. But So exercise can actually stimulate uh, genes to be switched on and switched off. And I went to a conference in Japan last year called Diseases of Aging, a a Aging and Diseases of Aging. And they presented this work done by, uh, this lady presented this work on these athletes that were actually on intense exercise for 20 minutes and they showed, they basically scanned the whole epigenome, so every single piece of DNA in your cell, uh, every single gene in your body was scanned for changes in epigenetics. And what they found was that pre-exercise, 75% of the genes were basically switched off. So they show you this big heat map and Red, is mean, red means off and green means on, and 75% were red of the whole panel of genes. Um, you know, the 25,000 genes we have in our body that are at any one time switched on or off. After 20 minutes of intense exercise, it was 75% were green. So they're all switched on. Wow. When, when they actually mm. went... 20 minutes, that's all we need to do. Oh, yeah. We don't have to do true. our 24-hour marathon. I no, so it's, it's true. It's 20 minutes. Ass. And it doesn't even need to be intense exercise. <laughs> and you don't have to be... These were athletes that were doing it, but I have a colleague back at Federation University that's also doing this work on, on people that aren't athletes. They just they just like exercise. And they've, they've also seen the similar changes. But the the changes in the genes that they saw were genes that were in very much involved in um, energy expenditure, um, you know, metabolism, things like that, things that you would necessarily need to sustain you through that through that particular exercise um, process or what you were doing. So in 20 minutes, you can actually change your whole genome. And all of these genes are, are genes that are switched on for good reasons. Mm. So they're, they're reasons for, for burning fat, for supplying energy and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. It's, it's interesting <clears throat> because as a personal trainer, when I mm. trained in the 80s and 90s, it yeah. was all around one hour of exercise, yeah. three 45-minute wait sessions a week mm. and all this sort of thing. But lately I'm doing a lot of... Well, the 20-minute intensity exercise is one of my favourite. Yeah. And all my wads and things that I put onto my pages now are between two minutes and 15 minutes long. Yeah, and sure. the results I'm even getting, and I wondered if that was because I was getting older but then I'm noticing younger athletes are getting a much mm. better reaction and better, you know, no, not as many injuries. They're they're feeling stronger. You actually don't need to work the body out the no. way we used to think we had to. No, I did definitely a, not. I did a show on Karen's couch a couple of weeks ago with a man um, in the United States. He owns the Beverly Hills Anti Aging <laughs> Clinic. His name's Dr. Uzi Rice, and we were talking about lots of different things. But one of the things that he said was that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what? Uzi Rice. Yeah. It's funny cha-cha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. what? Steve worked with a, a professor named Dr. Fatty uh, Cha-Cha. And when you oh. said Uzi Rice, all I could think of was Fatty Cha-Cha. Fatty <laughs> Cha-Cha? I love oh, these man. names. Yeah, this one, not a scientist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't Sorry. have a good enough name. That's what it is. Morrison. Oh, well, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I just no, Uzi, I Uzi rice. Sorry, go on. We'll never forget she, I his she name. Said sushi rice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't. 
<laughs> Neither the man's a genius. Okay, all right. I know they might have funny names, but I they know, are geniuses. Yeah. But he was actually saying something similar. He was saying that um, when our bodies respond far better mm. from an anti-aging point of view, when we do the short, sharp, two, three, five-minute max, and mm. then rest for six minutes, and then two, three, four, five, six minutes yeah, max, sure. and then rest for ten minutes. Like he said, it's we've got. He said we've got it the wrong way round in order mm. to switch on the anti-aging. That's why I think CrossFit yeah. and things like that have become so popular. They're quick, short, sharp, intense exercises. So, mm. from an epigenetic point of view, I wanted yeah. to ask you something about: is it the Brackham gene, the the breast, the, the, the breast, 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 breast gene? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. talk about so that because I've got somebody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just wondered. Right you were now. saying before the genes switch on and off, the twenty-five thousand, all at different yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. So, what's your thoughts around women? That do we all carry the gene? And yes. Therefore, oh, we all carry the gene. Well, it's, we all have that particular. We all have that gene in our DNA, but it's actually even men. Uh, yeah, we all contain the the gene. Oh. I'm not sure. I don't think about. I'm not sure about men. We, I don't know about men, but we all. all men we can all get breast cancer. Can't we, we we can, but I'm not sure whether it's related to the BRCA one or BRCA two. Okay. I'd have to look at that. But it's actually a, it's actually a, a mutation in that gene oh. that causes the that um, causes the problems. So if you you're screened when you're screened for BRCA one or BRCA two, you're screened for the gene, but you're screened for the mutation. That it carries. Is and that then, why women then remove their breasts? Yeah, have they just, got that uh, mutation? Just, yeah, just in case, because it can be, it can lead to. It may not, but it may. So, so the, it's like. So a, have they got the mutated gene? Yes, yeah, they would if have. If they come up as yeah, positive, if they come up as positive, does it mean they'll get breast cancer? Though you're saying no. not, not necessarily. Uh, it depends. Some. Some women just opt to have it removed just in case because they have a family history of breast cancer. So but if they do have a family history of breast cancer, is it more likely that that will develop into breast cancer? It, it probably is more it is. likely, okay. yeah. So the, so the BRCA genes are, are genes that we have in our body, the breast cancer genes, but they're, um, they, they have normal functions. They actually have normal functions in the breast, but... When they're mutated, that's when the problem occurs. So, how do they get mutated? Is it is it from birth, it's, it's, or is it an well, epigenetic thing? Well, with 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 these genes, BRCA one and BRCA two, it's it's, a, it's heritable, so it's through passed on through generations. It's not not that I know of. It's an epigenetic phenomenon. But then it has to be turned on, right? Because genes are turned on and off, as you were talking yeah, about. Normally, so so what happens with genes is. Um, when they're when they're mutated, when genes are mutated in certain ways, they either uh, are not made into proteins anymore. So if they're not made into, so say there's a particular gene, gene X, call it gene X. It's made into a protein, and that protein does something in the body. If it's mutated, it may not be made into a protein anymore. So therefore, it may not be, it won't be able to do what it normally does, and then that's where problems start. Or the mutation will occur, and the gene will still be made into protein. But the protein will be misfolded somehow, so mm. it won't fold properly because it has that mutation. So therefore, its effect will be somewhat diminished. It may still have a slight effect because it's still got a, a similar structure to its wild type, which is its normal protein, without the mutation. But it will actually um, be less efficient at what it does, or it could be just totally uh, non-functional at all, or so, dysfunctional. Can or, it do something it shouldn't do? It can, it, it, exactly. So if you have a protein that's not folded properly, it could bind to something else that fits its kind of shape and switch something on, something else on, for example. So, so that's how mutations generally work. They're either not made into protein because the genes are switched on and they're made into uh, DNA, into message RNA, then goes into protein. And if there's a mutation that stops it being made into message RNA, then it won't never make protein. And then it, having it lost from the system 
could cause huge problems if it's something that's yeah, really required. Yeah. Uh, and then the other option is that you could have a mutation which will actually make more of it, for example. So mm -hmm. you'll overexpress it. So having too much of it can be a problem. Or you have a mutation where it will make message RNA, then make protein, but the protein is somehow, um, its confirmation is not right. So therefore, if you look at proteins, the way they fit in with certain other proteins, it's similar to lock and key sort of mm -hmm. style, and it won't be particularly be able to fit a certain other molecule or whatever it may be binding to and can cause effects that way. So, so that's how mutations work. But epigenetics is different. It doesn't work based on mutations. It works based on um, chemical groups that bind to DNA in long stretches on the DNA at their gene level to switch them on or off. So it's actually not a physical mutation in the, in the DNA itself. It's something that binds externally to the DNA. To What's actually block it. What's the difference between DNA and RNA? You're talking about yeah, DNA and RNA. That's so, so. We all have so DNA is we all have DNA is in all of our bodies. Yeah. For every single gene, we have the DNA in our bodies. I mean, the DNA in, in your finger, for example, contains the, the DNA for the colour of your eyes yeah. as well. Obviously, it's not switched on in your finger. It's switched on in your eyes, okay? The message RNA is the genes that are switched on. So you have the whole complement of genes, 25 of your genes in your, in your whole body, 25,000 of them or so, and the ones that are switched on at any one time uh, is the message RNA. So, for example, in your eyes, you'll have the gene for, um, I don't know, uh, for prostate growth or something like that, or whatever it may be. And, but it's obviously not going to be switched on in the eyes. You know, it's going to be switched on elsewhere. So, but the colour of... Hopefully in the prostate. Yeah, hopefully in the prostate. Well, you don't want your prostate to grow. <laughs> yeah, you don't want one of those. No. Right. So <laughs> what's, what's the difference then? You said that um, if somebody who does have that, that, that BRCA2 gene, or yeah. BRCA gene, you say that that's hereditary. So that's what's likely to, you know, if they do have that in their family, mm. and, you know, then it, it, it could cause the, the, yeah. the breast cancer. But what, mm. if, it, if you do have it, mm. um, and it's not necessarily a determinant or a precursor to cancer, mm. what are the conditions that has it not be a precursor to cancer? Mm. So if the conditions that has it be a precursor to cancer is that it's hereditary, what's, a pre what's the conditions of it not being a precursor? Yeah, it depends, it depends on... So it gets, in, gets down to the mutations in the BRCA gene. A lot of genes have many mutations. I was telling Cindy the other day, the estrogen receptor, for example, if you just take the estrogen receptor gene, there's something like about eight different mutations in it. And the estrogen receptor has been well known to be involved in breast cancer as well. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on the severity of the, the particular mutation they're looking at. The, oh, BRCA, okay. the BRCA gene might have other mutations that aren't even discovered yet, um, but that they know of in certain populations, but it may have no effect. But if it's, it, it's a particular mutation that's well known to be a precursor for breast cancer, then that's the, that's the issue. So it'll be a well somebody, known. We've got somebody that we know yeah. that has been assessed as having the BRCA2 gene. Yeah. And um, she does have family members who have had breast cancer and yeah. she doesn't know what to do next. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's because if you think about the, um, when I was just talking about the message RNA and things like that, because that's the particular gene that's that's in the breast that's switched on in the breast. Mm. Yeah, it's not switched on anywhere else mm. that I know of to do anything else. But um, it depends on the particular mutation. So 
and, and I'm not an expert on the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene, but there'll be a, a, a mutation that's involved in, that's actually a precursor to breast cancer that is well established. And that's what they'll look for. When they screen for you, they'll look for that mutation. Yeah. It's the same as cystic fibrosis. There's a delta 508. Delta 508 means the delta sign is a change. In 508, it's that amino acid, which is amino acids part of a protein. At, the, at 508, there's a change in that particular protein. And they know for a fact that that's the change in the protein that is involved in um, chloride transport in, in, in um, cystic fibrosis patients. Right. So they would screen for the delta 58. And if you have that delta 58 change in 508, then you know you could be a carrier, or you, you if you actually got both both alleles or both genes carry the same uh, mutation, then you will have cystic fibrosis. So they will screen for that particular mutation. The, the cystic fibrosis gene also has many, many other mutations in it, but they're not, pre, they're not a precursor for cystic fibrosis. Right, okay. But in saying that, they, they're kind of additive as well. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this interview as much as Kim, Cindy and myself have. Talking to Stephen is just like, you know, sitting in front of the guru, the font of knowledge. And how lucky are we that we get to have him right there in our own hip pockets. Woo! <laughs> so go ahead and tell us what you think of this interview. Go ahead. You can type your comments at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. Or you can also go to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com. Dot com forward slash up for a chat and join us here next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world we're going to see you on the ride Hi, Brett Hill from The Wellness Guys and That Paleo Show here. We had some incredible feedback last year that being at The Wellness Summit with a group of like-minded people made it just that much better. So this year, we've created a special group rate for 10 or more people to attend The Wellness Summit. For spreading The Wellness Message, you can come to The Summit for just 197 bucks. That's a saving of $100. And all you need to do is get you and nine other friends along to Crown Melbourne on Saturday, August 16 and 17 for this once-in-a-lifetime event. To book your group tickets and have the best time ever with your friends, go to www www.thewellnesssummit.com This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.